Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking and wheeling in the UK and beyond. I'm Ned Bolting. I'm Adam Tranter. And I'm Laura Laker. And this time we are e-scootering around the world. Well, not really. Believe it or not, it's a year since we visited the topic and the UK is now 15 months into its 12-month e-scooter trials, now extended <laughs> to March 2022. Now, globally, these tiny wheeled and not so tiny wheeled vehicles are taking off but concerns over pavement riding and pedestrian safety still dominate the debate so adam you've been uh, kind of deployed today as our uh, special correspondent haven't you across uh, literally across the world yeah i was um at velo city in lisbon uh, which is a, a kind of annual conference for uh, active travel and I uh, used the opportunity to have a go on Super Pedestrian's uh, Link Scooters. Super Pedestrian are sponsoring this episode, our first ever sponsor. Um, and we are going to have a listen to my little uh, escapade, really, and see, see, uh, see what, what I thought to e-scooters in a, in a fairly mature market, actually. Because it's the UK, you can just say, oh, it's new, it's new you know or whatever but but in lisbon they're kind of you know they've had them a good few years now and they're they're just sort of just getting on with it so yeah here's that uh little clip hello from lisbon i'm just leaving the apartment going in it's part of the valley city conference and in a step away from uh bikes bicycles all things cycles i'm going to try an e-scooter now i've been on e-scooters a couple of times um, but thanks to our sponsor, Super Pedestrian, who are operating the Link scheme here in Lisbon. I'm going to go and try one out and see what I think. Now, this is designed to be way more than a... Oh, e-scooters are fun, because I think we've passed that. I think we know that e-scooters are uh, pretty fun. This is more about being a city that has accepted e-scooters. Um, they've been here for several years now. There are several... Um, suppliers, brands sort of vying for people's uh, attention 
And as we've seen in London and other cities in the UK with, with e-scooter trials, it's not without its problems. I think there's no point hiding from that. There's no point also um, throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, well, e-scooters are bad because of these isolated incidents. But so a couple of years on, it's clear they're being used. How are they dealing with some of the problems that there are and uh, have any of those problems found themselves solutions just yet? Straight away, I've not had to walk far, looked on the app. Um, literally, there's a sort of crossroads, but it's not really a crossroads, actually, is it? It's, there's, yeah, four potential. Yeah, no, it is a crossroads, but it's sort of diagonal. You don't need to know this. And um, there's a scooter. There's two scooters. There's three scooters. There's three scooters. We're not in any sort of busy area. I'm just based in the north of the city at the moment. It's uh, sort of still very much in Lisbon, but it's uh, a little bit quieter, a little bit less to do, a little bit less touristy. And yeah, there are scooters. I'm just watching. There's a group of four people walking down uh, the pavement down the hill, down the steep hills of Lisbon, and and there is actually a, a link scooter parked on the pavement. So they've had to sort of walk around it. It's nothing dramatic. And there is enough space um, for them, but it's certainly, you know, not perfect. But I should well, I should also point out that there are some problems to try and solve in, um, uh, in uh, Lisbon because you just heard the motorbike go there. Um, the traffic is fairly busy, fairly uh, horrific at times. Um, and I've found the car driving to be some of the most um, aggressive that, that I've experienced. Um, we have the 30 kilometer zones here, but um, rarely are they uh, followed. And there is a, a kind of constant sort of underlying aggression on the roads here. They need to do something about it, and they acknowledge that e-scooters could be the could be the solution. And, and to be fair, I've just called out a scooter for being parked on the pavement someone's left it there but at the same time someone has just left their car idling in the middle of the roundabout to go and get uh, a coffee uh, so that's that's you know something that maybe we're just so used to seeing right now that we just pass by and and don't think anything of it there's lots of parking over zebra crossings here when i came last night late late at night there were two cars just parked in the middle of the crossroads overnight just sort of left there uh, so we have to put it into context of the, the wider problems it's easy to call out e-scooters because they're new and scary but they are really in reality uh, probably all things considered part of a solution people seem to be using them seem, people seem to like them so excuse me do you speak English? Do, do you fancy I just wanted to talk to you about the scooter is that, is that okay? Yeah. oh what's your name? Swayze Swayze Swayze, Swayze. Yeah. nice to meet you Swayze um, you've just ridden the scooter parked it nicely you're way out the way and stuff how, how, how often do you use these things? how often? how often yes how frequently? Uh, sh- uh, mostly every day like I need to go to places come back to work to go to home so I talk a lot of times and especially both because the Unlock is free so uh, okay so you don't have you don't have to pay that like one euro unlock thing yeah to unlock it we need to pay I don't know the other ones but this one is free so I prefer this boat yeah and um, do you find it safe do you feel do you feel okay comfortable yeah. yes yes because it's only uh, 
20, 20 kilometers. I don't know as much power I was, but uh, you go in a short uh, velocity and yeah. uh, the tires is good, you know. Yeah, the drive is good. We just, we just need the helmet for the noobs and stuff, but yeah, it's safe. Before the scooters arrived in Lisbon, uh-huh. what mode of transport did you did you use? Uh, subway. Subway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I paid for the car, so I can't go to subway for anywhere. You know, I live here in a green line, so I can go anywhere with subway. And do you find that this is um, better than the subway? Yeah, of course. It's more quick. You know, I can go to the other ways. Ways that I know uh, when I go to, on feet, you know, with scooters more fast. I can reach my home like in five minutes, while when I were with Subway, it was 30, 25, yeah. yeah. And do you think there are any problems with the e-scooters? Because I notice sometimes they are like just left on the pavement and things like that, and they block the sidewalks. Have you noticed that being a problem? And do you think it's got any better as they've stayed here? Well, the recent problem that I found, I don't know is, there, is it a problem, but when I go to a lot, uh, you know, for example, this way is um, is like a climb, you know. Yes, and help. when I go when I go faster than this, uh, like he's 20, 20 it's limited, yeah. Yeah, when I pass the limit, he's stuck. Ah. He's stuck, uh, and I can't wait. I, I need to wait like um, five seconds, five seconds, ten until he unlock again, so I can ride normally. But this is the only problem that I found. Uh, other this, no. You think the parking is okay in the city? You don't think there are? Because I see a lot of them. We don't have them in in England so much. We have so we have we have some, but they've just started. Okay. But people are very worried about them being left everywhere and parked everywhere. Okay, okay. Do, do you think that's a problem here? No, here is not a problem because we uh, they they I see an app and on the map of the app they made an organization. You know, it's pretty well, and they don't let the the scooters go to other uh, other places like Odivelas and stuff. And they they are places that they we can't. We don't have access with the scooters like there. Is where is the white car? I can go through there, so I can stop the the ride. I need to come back here uh, okay. and stop here uh, okay. because my destiny is up there. So Before, you can't go up this way. Yes. Uh, previous previous month, we we had the permission to go there. Ah. Uh. But nowadays, I don't know what happened. They blocked the 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 they way. They blocked this road. Yes. Maybe they had a complaint or something. I don't know. But, but yeah, they're blocked. And now we just, for the people who have to reach their place, yeah, we just need to let this, yeah. Yeah. But other is, is, is cool. Brilliant. Well, thank you for taking the time. Sorry to uh, stop you in your day. All right, take care. I'm going to go and try one out, stop talking, see what I think. Um, try and give you a little bit of commentary safely while I'm doing it. I'm just literally walking about 50 yards which is great it's super convenient there are you know part of this is that there are e-scooters on most streets whatever you think of that there are a couple nicely parked here next to the um, moped parking so it all seems to work here's the link scooter which is by super pedestrian they've given me some credit to go and uh, try it out because uh, that's another thing 
they you know that the, these are good tools and they are quite fun but whether they are cost effective enough to use over private scooters uh, is a is another matter but that that to be honest in a, in a city like lisbon is not the market for them so um just worth considering those this scooter is chunky it's like a lime green with a, a gray um can't think of a better word than shaft for that gray shaft uh with with real chunky handlebars i'm told that this um has a higher weight limit than most uh of the e-scooter companies so um don't tell anyone but i'm over 100 kilos uh so this is absolutely fine for me um according to the technical specs so i'm gonna open my app uh and scan the qr code all familiar with that process nowadays hiring things scanning qr codes there we go so i've just scanned it accept payment and there we go it's unlocked ride safely okay i will ride safely uh, i haven't eaten yet so um i'm going to go and do that I'm flicking up the kickstand um, and it says to basically uh, kick it forward, push off like a kick skater like you did when you were a child. I'm going to do it. I'm going to the curb first. And then press the button. Okay, there you go. Doing it. I'm e-scooting. Okay. It feels really stable. Genuinely, it's um, a lot better than my previous experiences. Brakes work as well. So two brakes even. Christ. Right, so I'm going one way and there's one way street. Quite like to get some food to eat, so let's see what I can find. There are lots of um, really nice parklets in, uh, in Lisbon. I think the city said there are over 300. All the restaurants are making the most of the extra space uh, outdoors. Um, and uh, as the chap was saying, just in the interview, um, these streets I'm going along are, are really quite um, smooth, and, and he was saying that they're all 20 kilometers an hour, and I, in my experience, not everyone follows that, but um, I feel perfectly safe doing this, riding along. Um, there are no motor vehicles at this time, there's people walking, I'm pretty much the only person on the road which probably is more down to how and where I am in town. Really, I just fancy a, um, uh, a coffee. Maybe I can... Well, it's no shortage, actually. It's just choosing the, the best one. Um, so I might have a little problem here. I've got to navigate this hill. Got some cars parked on the zebra crossing, so I can't really see... Okay, I'm going for it. Okay, I'm a heavy lad on an e-scooter. Okay, so I'm going. Someone's left a bolt e-scooter just behind a parked car. That's not going to go down well, probably. And um, that streets are lovely. They're just, there's just so much parking everywhere. So much parking. So these cars that like, haven't moved for days, they've all got advertising signs in. There's a another couple of scooters parked up there and I've got to say there's some mopeds as well just parked on the pavement so 
should always put this into perspective. I think the challenge is, is getting people to abide to these parking zones, which is good on the app, but if you just want to stop somewhere, then, you know, it's not... Sometimes you just want to stop and, oh, I'm going to do now here, I'm going to go and stop and have a coffee, but I'm not going to check if there's a parking zone. Well, in fact, there's a scooter next to it in the, in the parklet. So there's actually a kind of de facto scooter spot. Um, it's not formal or anything, but it's just where the parklets not be using the space. Seems pretty sensible. Right, so I'm going to finish my ride. Park mindfully, don't block walkways or ramps, leave transit stops clear, fair dues, end ride. Okay, it's asked me to take a photo. I'm happy to oblige. Show that I've been sensible to avoid a fine. There we go. Well done, that was pretty simple. Now, now for a coffee, and you're going to judge me, but I have no idea. Well, maybe it's cafe, I don't know what to say. It's the problem with English people, they make no effort to learn any languages. My wife's half Portuguese. Should have made more of an effort before I uh, got here. But let's do that. Uh, could I have a cafe? Cafe? And uh, one of those, please. Obrigado. Espresso and these Portuguese tarts, and because we've won Euro 80, which is more than I paid yesterday, one Euro 65 in the other place, but can't complain. That's quite excellent. This is, a, I'm told, a proper Portuguese breakfast. Now, Lisbon is a city that's changing. Um, I've never been here before, but my wife came here last 10 years ago, and a sense from what I've said and what the pictures have sent her that she'll sort of see see some differences I think there is there was obviously the 2008 financial crisis that hit the um, capital hard um, and there was high employment and infrastructure was down but where I am there's a lot of stuff being built there's a lot of stuff happening and uh, having been at Velo City there's a lot of great uh, green and eco initiatives too there's bike lanes and they're not perfect they're not extensive enough like you could be say of any city but they are doing stuff in 2018 they won um, the European Commission's Green Capital Award that gave them 350,000 euros the jury described them as an inspiring and role model for cities across the EU demonstrating clearly that sustainability and economic growth go hand in hand but Sounds like a bit PR buff for me, but I would know. But um, listening to what the deputy mayor has said, um, he said previously that he wanted to return the city to the citizens. I was offered the opportunity to take action, to be part of a political project that has an impact uh, on city life. And I sense that there is a, is, is, is a quite a lot of political will here. The, the cities have to pay to have fellow city um, and they want the advocates here they want to talk to them and they want to show off what they're doing on a on, on a global um, landscape e-scooters are part of the drive towards eco-friendly modes the 
the the bike the bike share scheme Jira uh, is one that I've been using in the last couple of days. That's largely e-bikes actually, but I um, ended up with a pedal bike yesterday because of the demand from 750 cycling folk uh, going on a ride together. But but it was fine. Um, it was actually fine. Although you know I would always take an e-bike if uh, if I can. The e-scooters are a part of the the micro mobility mix, as we would say. Um, there are uh, apparently over twelve thousand uh, of these in the city, and uh, at the time that I can get the information for, they're operated by nine different companies, um, which uh, I've not actually seen evidence of of, of that that many. Um, obviously, I can't talk about the total numbers, but in terms of the brands involved, um, Link by Super Pedestrian is is um, naturally one of the key ones. Uh, Bolt are also in the in the city and. They have a range of some bikes as well that I've noticed. Bird is another, and then the American giant uh, Lime. So they're the kind of four key players. And I guess one of the downsides to this is that without the kind of... It doesn't seem like there's loads of regulation. I could be wrong. I don't know the local laws. But without the regulation of who can be uh, an e-scooter operator here, it seems like a, a race, right, to... to get the market share to get the most amount of people using them when when uber first started they uber started cabs they paid drivers 50 pound an hour just to be there because they needed to get the market share quickly um and it seems like the scooter equivalent of that is to get as many scooters uh, into the city as possible and try and get people loyal to that particular brand and we've seen that happen with dockless bikes in london um doesn't always go that well but this feels a little bit more um useful than, than maybe the Ofos and the Mobikes when they came to to London. These these all look like they're well maintained. It looks like they're getting you know they're clearly used. I've seen people using them. So these are I hope solving a, a problem and they're certainly appealing to younger people that maybe wouldn't engage with bikes. I was hoping when I spoke to the chap earlier that he'd say, oh well, I started to use this instead of a bike and that would have given me something interesting to talk about but it seems mainly that it's public transport that people are getting away from um which is a challenge for citizens themselves we see in london that there's a fair shortage most of the mode shift towards cycling is coming from public transport not from cars so it's a it's a, it's a challenge and i have to say there's there's work to be done here it's not perfect by any means but um things seem to work from what i've seen maybe that's because last year the the city included um fines for operators from between 60 euros and 300 euros for um for for poor parking if they're obstructing the pavements and they have a removal fee that has to be covered by the company but that also to be fair extends to shared bicycles um, and the the, uh, the police in Lisbon claim to have removed 1,800 poorly parked scooters between February and June in 2019 um, and charging fees of 17,000 17, euros. So we're seeing a combination of parking bays, uh, regulation, sensible parking. They're still new. They still stand out. They still look a bit odd in the streetscape. But, you know, I'm wedged in a parklet between 100 cars um, and we've come to le- learn to live with that, rightly or wrongly. So I do feel like it's a case of the fact that they're new, and um, Lisbon just seems to be getting on with it, really, um, and, uh, and and using them. And 
probably making the city uh, a little bit greener and cleaner at the same time. Well, uh, thank you for that, Adam. Lisbon is one of my favourite cities in the world, mainly not so much because of the e-scooters, more because of the <laughs> fried fish that you can eat in oh, Lisbon. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed <laughs> that the fish never got a mention in your otherwise immaculate uh, report, but we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. In the meantime, though, we have got a guest. Well, this episode, we're proud to say, is sponsored by Super Pedestrian whose Link e-scooters feature in cities and towns across the world, and uh, many of you will have seen them, I'm sure. Joining us from Super Pedestrian is a guest, Jean Andrews, who's Head of Policy for Ireland and the UK. Joining us all the way from Dublin, Jean, is that right? Correct, yeah. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Jean, I suppose, can I ask the stupid... I, my role in this podcast is to ask the stupid and obvious questions, and I'm very good at it. So I'll kick off, and I'll just ask you, what is Super Pedestrian? Great. No, happy to happy to respond to all and any questions. Um, so Super Pedestrian is, uh, we're, we operate in the shared mobility space. Um, so we're a shared e-scooter operator, but we're not a traditional operator. We're actually uh, originally an engineering company. We were spun out of MIT in 2013 and spent eight years developing software technology that protects riders and pedestrians um, in micromobility vehicles. And then we spent a couple of years and $75 million developing this very smart and very safe e-scooter called Link which um, I believe um, some of you may have had a chance to, to test out. Yeah, I did. Um, I did. Uh, it, was, um, it was good. It was, it was, it was good. I, I've used a variety of e-scooters over the last couple of years, and um, some of the early private ones that I had a go on, uh, on, on private land here in the UK um, were a little bit sketchy. They seemed like toys, effectively. Um, and I think the first iterations were like toys with GPS trackers on. And we seem to have got to a place where uh, where the skeeters, uh, certainly a lot of the skeeters I've seen out and about are uh, a lot more fit for purpose, which I think were people's kind of um, uh, initial concerns. So, yeah, like I was, you know, I'm, I'm quite a, a largest chap and, and sort of being on uh, being on one of these um, uh, link skeeters um, with the big tires with suspension, like it felt, you know, it felt robust. It felt like I was on a proper vehicle rather than, you know, uh, I guess what a lot of people who have not tried them before think of, you know, they think it might be some sort of like hoverboard that you get from Amazon, it might just set on fire at any point. Um, and, and this definitely wasn't, wasn't that this is a proper vehicle, which is, which is good. That's good to hear. I think that the, the e-scooters have come a long way since the early days. And, you know, the kind of um, earlier models were maybe not as robust or fit for purpose, but you know, I mentioned we kind of spent a, a lot of money in developing the scooter itself. And, I think in the early days as well, there were a lot of issues associated with e-scooter use and um, there are a lot of technological fixes now for some of those issues. They're not solved by any means, but mm. there are, you know, you mentioned kind of the GPS and geofencing, et cetera, you know, and then the scooters themselves, just um, as you mentioned, ours is kind of, it is quite a big, robust um, piece of kit and it does feel, I think you have to kind of ride it to, to see, um, it does feel quite safe and there's a lot going on kind of. In, that's invisible kind of underneath the scooter to make sure that that ride is safe for you not just for you as the rider but also for pedestrians so gene just to clear up in my mind geofencing is i remember adam when you tried a a um scooter in coventry a few couple of years ago <laughs> yeah. The geofencing wasn't ideal, was it? And it thought you were on the pavement, whereas actually, so it slowed you down automatically to of kind of walking yes. speed. 
in front of a bus. So geofencing is that thing, right, Gene, where it kind of the scooter knows where you are and knows where you can be and how fast you can be traveling, etc. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. So it relies on GPS positioning, um, which needs to be fairly accurate. And it enables, um, so this is where the, for shared e-scooters rather than private e-scooters. So we're talking about shared e-scooters here where operators will, and almost all operators have uh, geofencing technology in place at the moment to, with differing levels of accuracy, but it'll actually enable the company. So if a city says, so in Coventry, they say, we don't want you uh, e-scooter riders to be able to ride down this pedestrianized street, then the operators will implement a geofence. So it'll be a map that's stored either in the cloud or on the scooter. Ours is stored on the, on the scooter because we think, well, we, we know that that's quicker in terms of response time. So the geofence will kick in in under a second. So you're riding towards this pedestrianized street the scooter is recognizing that you're approaching the pedestrianized street. The geofence starts to kick in to slow down the scooter. Ideally, it doesn't let you um, get onto that pedestrianized street at all. Um, but there can be a little bit of GPS lag. And that's why we store the geofence on the scooter itself. And that's not only you can, it can be implemented. That's a no ride zone where you're not allowed to uh, ride down a pedestrianized street. But there can also be slow ride zones, for example, if there's an area of uh, the city where there's a lot of pedestrians crossing the road, for example, in the city council want um, scooters to to go more slowly in that area it's possible to again the geofence will recognize okay i'm on this street the, the scooter will recognize and then it'll slow down the speed so the max speed limit will be lower than it usually is so it's a pretty clever bit of technology and it's kind of constantly getting um getting more and more accurate and as i mentioned that's why we store the maps on the the scooter itself and we've also made an acquisition of a positioning technology company that enables us to make that GPS um, positioning even more accurate. How much can you prevent the misbehaviour of of ultimately individual choice? Um, I always find it perplexing that seemingly either we don't care as a society or, or car manufacturers just sort of gave up. But, you know, ultimately we don't restrict speed or anything like that. So, you know what's the what's the limitations of of you know having the smartest product in the land but ultimately when i was in lisbon it wasn't just link scooters there were other scooter brands parked in places that you know i felt weren't where they should be i was in paris yesterday and in the louvre uh and it was sort of totally it was a day that the louvre was closed and it was just a nice pedestrian area and there's just like a a limey scooter in the corner which would obviously you know you couldn't park it there without getting a fine so people can still obviously go against the grain of of every technology that you you try and implement i guess absolutely no i mean it has to be a blend of this technology that we've been talking about but also rider education um i think rider education is absolutely key and e-scooters are still relatively new particularly in the uk the trials haven't been around for that long and um, we've had private e-scooters around um for the last few years but it's still a relatively new mode. So I think both riders and pedestrians and other road users are still getting used to e-scooters and where they should be. And I think it probably doesn't help the fact that they're not legislated for yet in the UK. I think it's great that there's a trial and it's brilliant to have had the opportunity during the pandemic, um, you know, while the roads were a little bit quieter to introduce this new mode, that was actually a, a great thing to be able to do. And, you know, as traffic volumes have, have kind of increased, you know, then potentially there are, uh, there are some challenges. So I think the sooner that regulation can be introduced in the UK context, um, the better to make sure that the schemes um, themselves and you know that's shared e-scooter schemes, but also that the private e-scooters are regulated as well so that there's a guide in terms of how people can 
can ride the scooters because obviously at the moment there's a situation in the UK where there are the pilot schemes where e-scooters are temporarily legalized but private e-scooters are currently not legal but there's a little bit of an anomaly and we still see a lot of people riding private e-scooters so I think once there's certainty in terms of how to ride them where to ride them and all of that across the board then that should make things a lot better but you're absolutely right to point out that you know there is a duty by operators to to educate riders it's not just we're providing the technology and you know it can do certain things but you have to have kind of buy-in from the public and from the riders and you have to have like responsible kind of ridership and you know that's I think that's really important. And um, it is a a trial still in the UK and but there has some been some data that's coming out uh, Jean around um, the kind of trips that these e-scooters are replacing and one argument for them and I know that some for example the Centre for London recently said that they should be legalised because they have the potential to reduce car use. And last year, the Transport Committee came up with the same conclusion, um, legalise them because they help people get out of the car. But there's also this element of replacing walking trips, which is maybe in terms of like public health and in terms of active travel, maybe something we don't want to do. So in Bristol, they found that 44% of e-scooter trips in the region replace walking trips. I think in America, it was around 27%. I don't know if this is something that you've noticed with your scheme or if you've done any kind of surveys of your users and what the whether this is something we should be worried about and what you think the solutions might be. Sure. Well, there is there's recent um, NABSA data, the North American Bike Share and Scooter Share Association report from last year that shows that 36% of shared mobility trips replace car journeys. You know, you're absolutely right um, to say that we shouldn't be trying to replace active travel journeys with e-scooter trips. There's lots of reasons why, from a public health perspective, um, not least that active travel journeys are really important um, for the population, so they should be encouraged. However, it's not always possible to walk everywhere all the time or to cycle everywhere all the time. And I think it is important, you know, we're in a climate emergency. We're looking to decarbonise transport. I think it's 25% of UK emissions um, are related to transport. There's a need for modal shift to get people out of um, you know, or give people a choice in terms of taking the car for those short journeys. So there's a kind of a sweet spot between, you know, not cannibalizing active travel journeys and then giving people an opportunity to take perhaps a lower carbon mode um, rather than taking the car for those shorter journeys. And obviously there are kind of associated co-benefits around, um, you know, easing congestion and uh, improving air quality, etc. So I think... Um, uh, it's really important for that operators are kind of aware and it's, it, you know, to be honest, it's usually a kind of a requirement of the city that where there's, you know, the, the city doesn't want active travel to be cannibalized by by shared schemes. So that's something that the operators will usually have to demonstrate that they're not going to do. And there are different ways that we can do that, such as through pricing. You know, if you make it more expensive for people to do those shorter journeys and you make it kind of you know a better value to do that kind of those mid-range journeys so beyond you know two to five kilometers and then more expensive again for the longer journey so that public transport isn't being cannibalized so it's about kind of supporting um active travel and also uh, integrating better with public transport and maybe enabling more people to reach public transport without but without um taking away from those walking and cycling journeys how important is uh, for the growth uh, across cities across the world actually uh, for the growth of your product for want of a better word how important in your mind is segregated infrastructure so that you're not sharing directly the same road space you know the same argument that cyclists have been kind of banging on about for years how do you see that panning out and do you think ultimately that 
actually the exponential growth potentially in the use of e-scooters will come to benefit cyclists as well because the pressure to build seg- segregated infrastructure might be brought to bear that much more keenly. Great question. And yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm a keen cyclist myself. I have an e-cargo bike and I take my kids um, around Dublin on it. And the, we have, um, there's a new, safer, segregated uh, cycling infrastructure local local to me here. And it's just, it's absolutely game changing. I've lived in the Netherlands as well and where the gold standards is safe segregated uh, cycling infrastructure and it completely changes how people move around the city it completely changes who will actually uh, choose to get on a bike or get on a scooter because it's a much broader demographic once you have that safe uh, cycling infrastructure there's a lot of evidence to support there are more women and there are more older people for example um, who are taking up these different um, and active travel modes so I think that it it should be the same infrastructure that e-scooters are using as well as bikes and e-bikes and e-cargo. And, you know, there's kind of a bit of a micromobility revolution going on at the moment, which is necessary because I mentioned we do need to decarbonize transport. We do need to get people out of ICE um, vehicles for those short journeys where possible and, and give a choice. And uh, safe cycling infrastructure is absolutely a huge part of that. And as you, as you um, already mentioned, like the more demand that we can show for that, the more people that begin to use that, you know, kind of creates this positive reinforcement where the cities maybe are more likely to invest in it. And um, you know, they're already uh, incentivized to invest in it anyway because of climate action targets and, you know, trying to... Um, and we also have this congestion problem in our cities. It's only going to grow. Populations are getting bigger, you know, and becoming more urbanized. I think 75% of the world's population will be living in cities by 2050. You know, all of those people can't, can't just get a car, even if it's an EV with that zero emission, they're just going to join the traffic jam. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, that doesn't solve the congestion issue. So we definitely absolutely need um, better investment in in cycling infrastructure to enable um, this modal shift and, you know, have not just e-scooters, but e-bikes and, and all of that good stuff to be um, kind of uh, for the, the demand for that to be satisfied and to be able to, to satisfy those targets I mentioned. I agree with, uh, I obviously really agree with, with the, the congestion and the space part. E-scooters are, are light vehicles and that makes total sense. I also agree with the e- sense of e-scooters and decarbonisation, but potentially uh, more from a, it's hard to say in the UK because there isn't, you know, they're not legal, but, you know, from a private e-scooter point of view, that that makes you know that makes quite a lot of sense in terms of having you know an individual personal vehicle which you're more inclined to 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 use because it's cheaper it's you know it's cost effective you own it etc i haven't got there's no public data on it but you know i i was told by people close to one of the schemes near me that that some of their rental e-scooters only have a a basically a shelf life of three or four months at times because of the um uh because of the the kind of not so much vandalism but just wear and tear and 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 general maybe petty vandalism and people not looking after these um these things um that doesn't sound very sustainable to to me i appreciate they're a lot lighter than than cars but ultimately we cars do have a benefit of lasting decades uh often so there's that that I'm interested to get your, um, you know, to get your your thoughts on, and then and then just on the business model as well. One of the things I have concerns about from a environmental point of view is that a lot of the companies that are backed by venture capital funds, they they at the moment it's a it's a race to kind of try and be the next. You know, when when Uber first started in cars and cities, they were paying drivers 
50 pounds an hour just to be there because they needed to get the market share and now it's about getting market share so we saw with other companies like bike share they're just just littering the streets with more bikes than are needed because they want them on you know never to be more than five meters from a, from a shared bike or, or whatever which isn't sustainable so what's um what's the answer to that to, to those um kind of uh, difficult questions i think that that are, um uh, people are thinking about right now well, you're absolutely right to um, to point out um, the issue around vehicle lifespan. I think that is an issue that the shared e-scooter industry as a whole uh, needs to address. I think it was the University of Warwick uh, had evidence that the average lifespan is something like three months, which is obviously horrendous from an environmental perspective. You know, for our own parts at Super Pedestrian, we do um, design and manufacture the scooters ourselves. So that enables us, and we've spent a lot of time and a lot of money in making sure that they are kind of resilient uh, sort of safe, stable and longer lasting. We have the longest uh, lasting battery in the market and, and scooter itself. In fact, the battery actually lasts for two scooters and uh, the scooter itself lasts for more like five years, depending on the use case as well. You're right to point out that, you know, shared scooters are designed to be on the streets and, you know, if they're used very heavily, obviously the wear and tear, they'll uh, kind of be issues with them sooner than there will be one that's um, scooters that are not used that often, like private scooters, for example. But um you know, in terms of, you know, we've done quite a lot to to sort of address that in terms of our own vehicle, but it's def- it's certainly an industry-wide issue. You know, I think a lot more does need to be done to make sure that scooters are more resilient and they last longer. And also that, um, you know, there have been issues in the industry around, you know, e-scooters being vandalised, you mentioned, and maybe um, thrown in the water. You know, I think as an, in- and again, from the industry as a whole, there needs to be a response that takes this seriously and, you know, retrieves scooters that have been um, thrown away and um, you know, ideally puts them back on the streets and fixes them up so that there's not this waste. And you know, because obviously there's a lot of um, embedded emissions associated with manufacture of the e-scooters. So the longer they last, the better. So that's something that we've really been focusing on in the, the design of our our vehicles themselves. And to your other point around the business model, yeah, we've seen. So there's this huge kind of investment in the uh, shared mobility industry in general and shared e-scooters in particular with some enormous companies and, you know, huge funding rounds. And there is a lot of kind of pressure to to grow and have this sort of aggressive growth model. And as a result, I think we've seen, you know, in certain cities, for example, in, uh, some Ger- in Germany, an operator, I think, dropped 3,000 scooters overnight on the streets. And, um, you know, it's quite an aggressive deployment model. And it also there are quite a, a lot of issues that might be associated with, you know, those scooters suddenly being on the streets overnight in terms of, you know, parking and people not being used to them. So, you know, our preferred approach is to do things kind of more gradually to work with the city. And always there's there used to be and less so now, but it still happens where operators will launch without a permit as well. So they'll drop a load of scooters on the street overnight again and, and, and start operating a scheme without having permission by the city you know, we would, we've never done that. We don't do that. And we would always, you know, we believe that it's really important to engage with the city, find out, you know, every city is different. There's a local context. The streets are different. The demand case is different. You know, you have to engage with the city and figure out, you know, what's needed when, and also then make, tweak, you know, tweak the, the scheme. So, you know, the initial deployment, you might, you know, um, we, we would get data then once there, uh, a certain number of scooters are deployed and maybe slightly adjust um, in terms of where uh, the scooters are deployed based on the demand in that particular city because every city is different. So it's really, really important to do it more gradually. So for that reason, I think, um, yeah, just dropping a load of scooters overnight um, onto the streets just doesn't work. I think for, for riders, it doesn't work for the pedestrians, it doesn't work for the city. 
But there is a kind of probably a lot of pressure from investors for some of those bigger companies and maybe explains why there is that more kind of aggressive deployment model. We also see it with pricing. In certain places, there's some very, very aggressive pricing by operators that's just not commercially um, viable in the longer term. But there's definitely a kind of an approach in terms of undercutting the market. And, you know, we don't think that that's um, necessarily a good way of operating either because the scheme needs to stand up um, by itself. Um, you know, when we when we launch in a city, we want to we want to be there for the long haul. Um, you know, we want to employ local local workers and we don't use gig workers. We'll have local uh, full time workers and we want to re- ensure that we remain there rather than kind of spending aggressively. And, you know, there's just not being a, a viable commercial opportunity. So it's, I think that that's certainly an industry. Are they um, are, are companies still doing that? Because I remember at the beginning, it was really like the Wild West, wasn't it? You just get these companies sort of appearing overnight and then just just throwing these e-scooters out on the streets and, and then and then the cities were having to react and there was no kind of legislative framework. There was no no means of dealing with it because it was such a new technology. This is back in 2017, I guess. Is it is it still happening now? I think it, it's happening less and less, but it does still mm. happen. So, for example, in Malaga, we launched in Malaga recently and we were the only operator with a permit there. So we had kind of requirements of our permit around mandatory parking zones and no ride zones and all of that, which we implemented. And as a result, when we launched, nobody was really using our scooters because um, the, with the other scooters that were there without a permit, riders could do what they wanted. So there was sort of a preference towards being less regulated and less controlled. And right. as a result, the city kind of then has started kicking out some of the operators um, and then the operators have to apply for the permit and have to introduce these requirements. So it does still happen, um, but I think cities are much more wise to it now. And um, obviously it's not desirable for the city. It's not uh, to have an unregulated scheme operating. And we just don't think that it's, it's beneficial for kind of the longer term for the company either. I think it's, it's, it's good to have a good relationship with the city so that there's this kind of symbiosis in terms of what the city needs and, you know, what the operator can deliver and, and, and the two can work together. Yeah, I think um, what, and one of the things that cities came up with as a as a kind of lever was to to basically say if you're going to operate here, then have a policy that where you operate in less well served neighbourhoods for public transport or yeah, managing pricing and managing numbers. And so I think I think a lot of cities around the world have kind of gotten wise to this. I always find it interesting that although obviously safety has to be the number one concern for any kind of transportation model it, it's it, there's a real double standard isn't there because we talk you know so far we've talked about um you know managing speeds in pedestrian areas or areas where there's lots of people crossing the road we we talked we've talked about carbon footprint of these vehicles um we've talked about the impacts on exercise and risks to other road users things that we don't really talk about for motor vehicles so i always find it interesting there's this there's a, there's a very high bar that needs to be met by this new technology and i think like adam said it's the fact that we are kind of scared of what's new sometimes and um, and would rather just stick with what we know. But there is, of course, the, the kind of issue of um, people always raise when we're talking about e-scooters is the dangers of people riding on pavements, putting other pedestrians at risk, putting other road users at risk. People talk about them being dangerous and um and the latest gov.uk, um, the government's stats on road collisions, I think there were 460 collisions involving e-scooters. And this is all e-scooters. So they don't distinguish between like, private and um, hire scooters because, of course, people are using them illegally on the roads. You see them everywhere. And, um, yeah, and one person was killed last year on an e-scooter. One thing I found quite interesting was a lot of these users were young and overwhelmingly male. So 
I think of the 484 casualties, there were 118 were aged 10 to 19. So um, either kids are using them, presumably, or parents with kids. I see some like parents with like a child on the front hanging on and they're like whizzing down the street, which is kind of, it looks kind of fun, but also a little bit scary. Um, And also, I noticed that the um, government stats showed spikes of collisions at like three and five, which made me think uh, like kids using them on the way home from school and like how do we kind of improve safety? I know you talked about your e-scooters have improved. And I think wheel size is one thing, but um, obviously there is a safety issue. People are concerned. Yeah, just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Sure. Um, yeah, no, uh, thanks for, for bringing up the, the recent research from from the DFT. I think, you know, of course, look, every, um, every collision, every incident is, you know, absolutely regrettable and shouldn't happen. Um, you know, and the industry as a whole, in terms of shared e-scooter use, we need to do as much as we possibly can to minimize those um, to, to the extent, to every extent that we can. It's worth referencing that, that those figures you've already mentioned are a mix of private and shared e-scooters. So the shared schemes launched in July of last year. I think the figures are from 2020. So there's probably, and, and then we also know that um, I think Halfords in October of last year noted a 450% increase in sales of uh, private e-scooters. So quite a lot of those figures are probably to do with uh, private e-scooter use. And um, you mentioned the age range there. Usually the shared schemes are at least 16 plus. Um, ours are, are 18 plus. So you can't you can't rent one of our scooters if you're under 18. And that's just a, a decision that we've taken internally. And, you know, I think, you know, I mentioned before that, you know, rider education is absolutely key in terms of, you know, this being more of a new mode. And often we are actually seeing from some of the places that we, so we're in, you know, 50 cities across eight countries around the world. And we do a lot of in-person events and training when we launch in a city. And what we've seen from that is that a lot of the people who are taking up e-scooters haven't even ridden a bike before. So for whatever reason, they 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 didn't feel comfortable on a bike, but they do feel comfortable on an e-scooter. But as a result, and, and they're not necessarily mm. drivers either. So they're not, they don't have that road awareness kind of already built in just because they haven't had that experience before. So there is kind of a huge piece around education and, you know, how do you safely operate an e-scooter? Where should you even be on the road? And as I mentioned before, in the absence of guidance from the government, you know, in the UK context, I think that makes that just much more challenging for riders. Well, listen, um, it's incredibly obvious to me that one way or another e-scooters are here to stay uh, and that there's going to be huge benefits as well as kind of complications along the way and it's been really interesting to get your thoughts have been very um i've learned an awful lot actually so thank you very much jean say hello to dublin british bay yeah <laughs> thank you very much for sponsoring the podcast as well it's, it's the first time that's ever happened feels very grown up it's right. almost no, like welcome. you know why you know it's a like, great podcast i really i've really been enjoying this thing <laughs> Uh, no, it's been <clears throat> been really interesting chat. Thanks ever so much, Jean. And we'll see you again soon. Thanks very much. Take care. Well, it, that was good. Uh, and in particular, I thought that Jean dealt very well with the fact that you two were so aggressive towards her. <laughs> <laughs> no, you weren't. We? But, she, but you did. You were basically asking her some quite difficult questions there, I thought. I couldn't see anyone's faces this week. So I'm not sure if she looked shocked or, or appalled. And when I was asking she her was, about um... She was actually, she was appalled. She she looked really <laughs> upset. No, she took it in her stride and she dealt with your questions. Uh, well, I, I to, to your satisfaction or not? Or are there still outstanding issues in your mind? Or what do you feel? Yeah, I think so. And I think um, she made some good points around safety because that's always the thing that comes up. I mean, um, 
Yeah, there was a piece the other day, you know, when you're somewhere and the TV's on silent in the background and they had this piece on the morning news about, um, obviously about e-scooters and they had police literally running after e-scooter users and like grabbing them <laughs> or like trying to stop them in the street. It was obviously about misbehaviour, but it does seem to dominate the debate. But I think she made a good point about um, just rider education, especially if it's younger users. A lot of young people don't have driving licence anymore and don't cycle and don't really know how to use the roads. And so naturally they'd be on the pavements because that's where they're used to being. And so, yeah, I think I think it's credible that education could do a lot and obviously infrastructure as well. Adam? Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, I think there's a general consensus, isn't there, that e-scooters are here to stay, uh, here to stay like, you, um, like you mentioned, Ed. And I think that we should be uh, sensible and pragmatic. We, sh- we should have the conversations that we need to have around the lifespan of the vehicles. I think, you know... I thought it was really interesting. I had no idea mm. that, that there were some yeah, versions of varieties that just get thrown in the bin after three months. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really surprising yeah. and it's worrying. And I think you have to be concerned about any private uh, organisation taking on, you know, responsibility of the state in some aspects, in instances, depending on, you know, what you believe. But which is transport, you know, when when transport in cities is typically, you know, managed by governments. So when you start to outsource that through bike share or through e-scooter share and obviously bus privatisation, all these things, you know, there needs to be really kind of careful consideration into the longevity of it and and not, um, you know, not just putting profits first. My, my worry, I guess, is that in the UK at least that we might, uh, I hope not, but, you know, we might legislate these things out of existence by making private e-scooters even more attractive without legislation because you know the speeds are dropping um you know so in some cases you'll be doing only able to do eight miles an hour in london you can only do 12 i think 12 and a half miles an hour which is three miles yeah three miles an hour less than you know an e-bike would be able to do under the sort of similar legislation and and every time the manufacturers or companies are asked by cities they're they're having to just sort of jump you know how high do you want me to jump like what one of the things was putting noises on the e-scooters so then they're not too silent taking them out of operation at night time all of these things like that that cities are asking scooter companies to do and the scooter companies don't really have a choice other than to comply so the risk is that e-scooters become that inconvenient, that slow, and so expensive in the private, in a rental sense, that actually people just stick to what they were doing before. I don't have anything against the noise per se, because um, if you're blind or visually impaired, then then you're not going to hear them, you're not going to see them coming. So, and I think a lot of e-cars are actually having e-cars and are having sounds added, aren't they? But yeah, certainly speeds and yeah, excessive kind of legislation elsewhere. But it is amazing that we, you know, that we don't do the same for cars, but of course we're used to cars. So um, it does boil down to this thing of um, it being something new and scary. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking exactly that when Jean was talking. I think it was the first question she answered about geofencing. Yeah, you know, I thought, well, well, well what, why, why are we doing? Why aren't we doing that with cars? I mean, yeah, what, and they've even got AI now. Is, they can tell if um, you're riding on yeah. the pavement. They're looking into like AI, and I just thought, wow, this pavement parking where I live is absolutely rife. And I just thought, wow, they just yeah. they could introduce that to cars as well and solve us a lot of problems. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I suppose that's a different. That's a slightly different issue, isn't it? But, yeah. but Adam, if they if they make so but logically i i guess if they make it harder and harder and less desirable for the rental companies to operate effectively 
uh, and that they make the product less desirable for the consumer, I suppose, for want of a better word. Isn't that just going to mean that more and more people will buy private e-scooters? Because I, I think the demand for e-scooters is is there, isn't it? And so that, that yeah. actually that actually is almost the more important kind of piece of the jigsaw. What are we going to do with private e-scooters that, as you rightly say, are just being used illegally en masse mm. at the moment? You know, where, where are yeah. we where are we heading with that? Are they going to? Is any legislation imminent, or what's what's the story? Uh, yeah, I think the general feeling is that they should be. I mean, um, as I said. With Jean, the Transport Committee is recommending e-scooters be legalised. Uh, Centre for London recently recommended the same. They said the shift is already happening, like you said, Ned. And it's just, it, you know, we kind of need the policies to encourage safe ridership on the street, whatever policies they may be. But I think that in terms of carbon emissions, there's a big incentive because they produce something like between 34 and 90% fewer car- carbon emissions than private cars. It's, it's a, um, obviously a huge... Um, difference in uh, in numbers there but um yeah without the harmful pollutants and and they said a massive two-thirds of car journeys could be made by e-scooter or e-bike in under 20 minutes so yeah huge potential all right well um uh, very interesting and nice to have an expert as well on on, on our podcast yes. um when are we going to meet again we haven't really decided have we sometime soon though yeah soon let's do soon. Yeah, we'll do we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll do another one we'll do um i, I did an interview when i was in velocity with one of the top bods at the European Commission, so we should have we a, a chat about that for our, for our next episode. Yeah, uh, just like a little. And I did my um, the one about the um, bike hub, which was really nice actually, and um, talks about um, well, getting women from ethnic minority groups into cycling and like the importance of uh, behaviour change and kind of what we might call softer measures and how important Brilliant. they are. So we've got two options. Brilliant. There we go. Brilliant. That's super exciting. Yeah. Keep looking in the look. Keep looking in the future if you're listening for new yeah. episodes and hit subscribe as well because that, that helps us and, and you'll get, and, uh, you'll get Laura, new ones Laura, and, and you can you can see me and laura live on a panel can't you laura yeah. at the ruler classic on i think it's on the saturday uh, if you're in london come along and we're on a panel discussing uh the joys of riding a bike in london Yay. aren't we i think that's roughly yeah. it sounds nice. good but in the meantime though uh, do continue to subscribe as adam says and listen and rate and review and all the nice things that you do um you can find us at pod streets ahead and all the usual blurb uh, which hasn't been written down in the script so i can't remember verbatim here uh, but there are um i shall just um i shall just sign off in an ad libby fashion and say from me ned bolting it's goodbye goodbye for me adam tranter it's goodbye <laughs> and now you can go laura go, now you can do your goodbye and for me laura laker it's goodbye <laughs> Very smooth. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.